This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently and we get to know them in a different way. You know, the reasonable thing would have been to just get a job at that point, you know, to get a job. I mean, I could have gotten a job. I mean, I'm marketable. Could have gotten a job at a university, you know, making $60,000, $70,000. But the math didn't work. I could not have a family with three young kids and make that kind of money and ever get out of that debt. It would never go away. The, I knew the only way to get, to get rid of that was to roll the dice as an entrepreneur, jump back in the game, no guarantee, but no, no ceiling either. And that's exactly what I did. Dan Miller on the Business Done Differently show. Dan is a New York Times bestselling author of 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and Wisdom Meets Passion. He's also the host of the 48 Days podcast, one of the most popular shows in iTunes. And he wrote the most amazing forward to my book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standout. Dan, I'm pumped to have you on the show. Uh, thanks so much, Jesse. I've been looking forward to it. Outstanding. Well, Dan, in one of your books, you wrote... Next time you meet someone, try asking, how are you making the world a better place rather than the normal, what do you do? So for the people that haven't met you, Dan, what are you doing to make the world a better place? Oh, man, I love the question. <laughs> I, get so, I get so bored with the, you know, what do you do? Well, gee, I'm a dentist, you know, and so you go on or whatever it is, physician. Well, to make the world a better place, I love helping people figure out what their unique gifts are what their real passions are, and then convince them that they can turn the blending of those into the work that they do. It's not something to be put on the shelf or something you just enjoy on the weekends. It's something you can enjoy and integrate starting Monday morning. So that's what I'm doing to make the world a better place. And the affirmation and testimonials I get uh, convince me to keep doing it. And how many people have, how long have you been coaching people to find their unique gifts and talents? Over 25 years. So I was I was doing this back before we really understood the word coach in this context. Coach referred to you know a baseball team. That's what you you have a coach. 100. percent But uh, yeah, it was before we really had this term. But uh, yeah, so I've watched this whole industry or profession grow of being a personal coach, and I love it. Wow. Now we'll dive into this. But is there an easy way for someone to find what their unique talents are? It's not easy, but it's not really that complicated either. I mean, what most people do when they look for what they're going to do is, gee, they grab the paper, jump online, they look for who's hiring, they get a job, and then they try to make their life work. I tell people 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career comes from looking inward. So take a deep breath and look at what you know about your skills and abilities, your personality traits, your values, dreams, and passions. Those will then give you a guideline those will help you create a focus for what you ought to be doing in work. And that's something you can do that in an hour. You can sit down and go through that process and get new insights that you maybe never thought about before. Well, you know, what are some unique stories? I'm very fascinated by the people that you've worked with. Worked with. Are there unique stories of someone that maybe was doing something for 30 years, 40 years, and then completely shifted by working with you and finding their unique talent? Yeah, I have hundreds of stories like that. I mean, I, I work with lots of dentists 
dentists have the dubious distinction of the highest suicide rate of any any profession, and so many of them are miserable. So many of them kind of defaulted. They really wanted to get into medical school, couldn't do that, so they ended up being dentists. You know, and they and they hate it. So there's a lot of stories about redirection there. But uh, I've got here in my office, Jesse, a beautiful, beautiful painting by a guy who came to me who was a pastor, pastor of a church. Now, there's one of those you consider that to be a really unique calling, you know, where there were a lot of things that went together to make that decision. Well, he had had a real dramatic experience in his own life, and so he thought the best thing he could do would be a pastor. Went to seminary, got ordained in his pastor of a little church. They were paying him peanuts like they do with beginning pastors. He was working as a desk clerk at a hotel during the week nights just to keep the lights on in his house. And I, I you know, met him, started working with him. And I'm like, man, who, who sold you this bill of goods? And he was really taken back. He thought, well, am I not doing the most worthy thing on the face of the earth? I says, no, you're an imposter. You're trying to pretend to be something you're not. This doesn't fit, fit you at all. I said, what is it that when you're doing it, you just really come alive, you're in that zone? And he described this process, Jesse, it still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. He would describe going into a bedroom in their little rented house, lock the door, he'd put on Beethoven or Mozart, and he'd paint. He did these dramatic paintings. Had never done anything with it, but that was, he recognized that as being a very safe, freeing, cathartic kind of space. I didn't quit everything he was doing. And for four years, he did faux finishes where he would use brushes, sponges, rags, create these dramatic effects on people's walls. But that gave him the freedom to really do these dramatic abstract paintings. Today, he makes 10 times easily, 10 times the money he was making originally. And he didn't walk away from even that sense of calling. He has more opportunity to really meet people where they are and to help them change their own lives than he ever had as a pastor. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not a painter, and I would not recommend that. You know, we know that artists starve. We hear that all the time. But for him, that's where there was that beautiful blend, that convergence of money, talent, and passion. That's what he does. But I have lots of stories like that, just total new directions, but just helping people see what's already right in front of them. Yeah, and they make probably a dramatically bigger impact doing the things they love because they'll never stop doing it. Always, yeah. always better. You, you can't pretend to be something and do a good job in doing it. You have to find that authentic place to really do well what you're doing. Oh, that's great. All right, Dan, I want to go into different strokes. And I want to know, how do you see business differently than most people? Well, most people, and back years ago, I thought the way to grow a business was to get bigger buildings and more employees. And so I did that. It was a pain in the butt, but I just kept doing it because I thought, well, that's the way to get bigger and more successful. Well, I had this horrendous crash. Some banking policies changed. I ended up selling one of my businesses at public auction, woke up the next morning and realized I was $430,000 in debt. And I thought, well, that sucks. You know, what did I do wrong there? And so I looked at some of the things that I did wrong. Again, trying to be something I wasn't, trying to do things that didn't fit me well. And in that space, I figured out a whole new world of opportunity. Wow. Today, I have a business, I have seven distinct income streams, I have zero employees, I work out of a converted barn on the back of our property here in a cow pasture in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, I figured out there's a whole lot of different ways to do business and I can do business way different than Bill Gates is doing it and be very successful 
because it fits me. We're right back to that piece again. Mm -hmm. If it fits me, but I don't have to do business like the guy down the street who has a bricks and mortar business. Yeah. That doesn't fit me. What I do gives me total flexibility and open-ended income. Wow. You know, I'm not going to let you just jump out of that. $430,000 of debt. And, you know, we're familiar with this, buying baseball teams going into millions of dollars of debt. And it's a serious, serious challenge. How long did yeah. it take you and how did, how did you get out of that debt? Wow. I hate to share this because me, me being the total optimist, I thought, hey, a couple of years, I'll knock that out and be on my way. What well, took me longer than that? Because a part of that, over 100000 of that, was IRS debt. Wow. Boy, that's one you don't want to have over your head. And the compounding of that with interest and penalties was more than I could even keep up with. But it took me 12 years. Okay. 12 years. But I didn't file bankruptcy, and I could have done that. Man, I was raised in an environment where your word is your bond. If your word isn't any good, dig a hole and push me in. I'm done. So I didn't do that. That would have sped up the process, but I didn't do that. I was committed to pay back. I mean, a lot of those were vendors. You, you talk about, you know, millions to buy a ball team. That's an investment with some kind of a, a net asset that's growing. I didn't have that at all. I had nothing. They took my house, my cars, everything. I had nothing but a big hole. But I started back, did not, did commission-only sales right out of the gate because no base but no ceiling either. So I started making some money and very quickly got into back into entrepreneurial businesses again and worked my way out of that. But it, was, it took a long time. My poor wife, Joanne, you know, I know she lost hope in that period of time. Not me. I kept cutting pictures out of papers, out of magazines, you know, with these beautiful houses. And I said, baby, this is what we're going to have. You know, and I'd, I'd put it on a refrigerator just to keep that image there. And I know that she sometimes doubted that. But 12 years, I walked into my office one morning and the fax machine, back when we had faxes, started peeling off 14 pages of IRS lien releases. Uh -huh. 14 pages, Jesse. And that ended that chapter. And immediately I started turning the corner that had building, you know, net worth again. Wow. Optimism and patience. I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. All right. All right. I want, to, I want to keep moving. That's a great story. and appreciate you sharing that. I want to go into... Hey, What's up? You know, you know, you know, the reasonable thing would have been to just get a job at that point, <laughs> you know, to get a job. I mean, I could have gotten a job. I mean, I'm marketable, yeah. could have gotten a job at a university, you know, bank, making sixty, seventy thousand dollars. But the math didn't work. I could not have a family with three young kids and make that kind of money and ever get out of that debt. It would never go away. The, I knew the only way to get to get rid of that was to roll the dice as an entrepreneur, jump back in the game, no guarantee, but no no ceiling either. And that's exactly what I did. All right, all right. So how did you know that? I mean, because most people, they would say, hey, I got to make 60, 70, 80, 90,000. How did you know that was the way out? I just, I knew that that would never be enough to get me out of that hole. Okay. The interest would, it would just never, you know, I had to get back in the realm of making, you know, Two, three hundred thousand dollars a year in order for me ever to deal with that. Yeah. And so I looked at opportunities that would allow me to do that. Wow. Of course, it was right right during that time that I wrote my first book. You know, leveraged that like most authors don't do, yeah. but really leveraged that pretty well. And that led to the kind of things that were exactly in my space that got that snowball rolling for me pretty quickly. Oh, that's amazing. Well, you obviously found you know your passion, so it's very easy to share that. And the great book, Wisdom Meets Passion with Jared and Gaza, shares a lot of those secrets, and so does 48 Days to the Work You Love. But you share one statistic in both the books, and I'm going into stats talk. 
You say the average job in America lasts 2.2 years. And for people in their 20s, it's only 13 months. So people are jumping around like crazy, which is so much dramatically different than it used to be. Why is that? And what can we learn from that? Well, it used to be that you would get in the door of a business. You know, if you wanted to be in the record business, you would get in the door as a janitor in the mail room and then think you'd work your way up. That kind of working your way up is not true anymore. If there's a company and they need a new chief financial officer, they don't look for somebody that's been there 20 years and promote them. They look outside the company at somebody that has that clear skill set and bring them in. So a lot of that has happened. You don't see people actually these days, somebody having been with the company 20 years can be a red flag on their resume. Companies looking at them will think, wow, have they kept up? You know, are they really current with new technology or are they just stuck in kind of the same hole? So we have to be, I recognize that changing doesn't mean you're starting over. It can be an upward trajectory in a career path going from company to company. And it's also a way to increase your compensation dramatically. If you stay with the same company, you can expect to get a three or 4% increase every year. You change companies, you can do the same kind of work and double your income. So, so, you're, so you're encouraging that? You encourage, oh, totally. So you want people to change jobs as much as possible? Well, it can work to your advantage if you recognize that at any given time, you know what your marketable skills are. That works for you. You never want to get caught flat-footed. I mean, I hear from people every day, Jesse, who, oh, gee, they're just blown away. As a matter of fact, I got an email this morning from a guy that I know, he's worked at Mattel, the toy manufacturer. Yeah. He's been there as a designer for 18 years, and they just let him go. He is devastated because he has no plan, has no idea how he would be able to be a candidate at another position. That's horrendous. No. You ought to be real clear. You ought to recognize that the distinction between being an employee and being a freelancer or independent contractor is not a wide gap at all. Mm -hmm. If you are, if you do graphic design, you can choose to have one customer, meaning you have a traditional job. You can choose to have 10 customers who only need you one day a month. Mm -hmm. That's not a quantum leap, that's just a subtle shift. But you need to understand what are your marketable skills. So if one company doesn't need you anymore, you can land on your feet tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this sounds amazing. It makes so much sense for employees. But what if you're an employer like me and a lot of our listeners that that scares the crap out of us? You better believe it. Yes, <laughs> you better believe it. I mean, if you look back a few years, you, you so you've got a manufacturing plant. The person comes in in the morning, you control their means of production. Everything is there. When they go home at night, you still have the machines there. That's not true in today's environment where we have knowledge workers. Their value is between their own two ears, which makes them very portable, and they can be very remote. So they go home at night, they still have the means of production with them. If somebody makes them a better offer tomorrow, they can switch and not lose momentum at all. So as a company, as an employer, you need to be looking at what are you doing to make that such a unique experience that they want to stay with you. And it has to go beyond compensation. You can't pay them enough to make them want to stay with you. It has to be something that scratches their sense of making a contribution and doing something worthwhile. 100%, but isn't it, based on statistics, almost inevitable? I mean, people need to now reinvent themselves constantly, try new things. I mean, it's this constant need for new things. You could be create the best company in the world, 
but you're still going to lose people. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So how do you, is it as an employer, would you suggest always keeping the door open to continue to bring in new people? I mean, what would you suggest? Because I know you're working with mostly employees. Now employers, this is a challenge. Oh, it is. But yeah, you have to realize I mean, it's not just a revolving door, people in and people out, but absolutely. I mean, it's just a natural part of the environment that we live in. Any healthy organization has change. There's no organization that is stagnant. If it is, it starts to deteriorate. So change is evidence of growth. Change is evidence of being alive. With that, you have to realize, yeah, there are people, I mean, there are people when I had employees, there have been times when I've had employees, but there are times when somebody would come to me and say, well, I got this better job, but you know, I'm going to stay here because you have helped me so much. You opened my eyes to what the possibilities are. And I'm not, wait a minute. Let me tell me about that job you just got offered. You need to go do that. And people have been surprised at that. But if somebody stays with you only out of a sense of obligation, both of you will end up resenting it. Mm -hmm. If they really have a better opportunity, then they need to go with my blessing, with my encouragement to go do that because they're maximizing their growth. They're not just put on earth to help me be successful. Mm -hmm. Now, do I want to create an environment that makes them want to be a part of a team, makes them want to be part of something exciting like what you're doing with your businesses? You better believe it. Mm -hmm. And those things go a long way. But ultimately, you don't have handcuffs on people. You don't want to do that. You want them to know they have the freedom to do anything, but they're choosing to come back to your company day after day. And that's when you truly care about your people. You want what's best for them. It could be another opportunity, but most businesses, they have a fear of loss. You know, they have a fear of losing people, losing money, losing success, and they're not actually thinking about their people. That's right. Yeah, yep. I couldn't agree more. All right, I want to go into Party of Five, Dan. This is a game I know that's been a big part of your life. The quote from Jim Rohn, you're the average of five people you spend the most time with. From a business standpoint, I want to know, how did you build your five? Because this wisdom is, is amazing. Wow. You know, I've been fortunate, but again, it's not just a matter of blind luck. We moved to the Nashville, Tennessee area right after that horrendous business crash. So I was rebuilding here and kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do next. In that period of time, I met another guy who had also gone through a horrendous crash at actually the same time. We became dear friends and have remained so now for almost 30 years. That guy's name was Dave Ramsey. He was building, uh, based on a big failure that he had, was building a national voice in her terms of helping people stay out of debt and making poor financial decisions. That connection exploded my business because there was such an overlap in what he was doing as he built his national radio presence and people would call in, gee, they're making $45,000. They want their wife to be, to be able to stay home with the kids. And he's saying, you know, you need to make more income. You need to get my buddy Dan Miller's material. We were adding, during that growth period, we were adding 1,000 people a week to my newsletter list based on his growing radio presence. Then I met people like Michael Hyatt, who was CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers at the time. You know, now he's out. He's duplicated a lot of the things that I'm doing. He's been extremely successful. There are other people in this area, right here geographically, but, but I've reached out. I've always looked for people who were farther down the path than I, 
and look for ways that I could spend time with those people, whether that's virtually through their books, going to their conferences. So I've spent time with people like Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Mark Victor Hansen, all those greats, those masters of achievement, by going to their conferences, buying their programs, and then getting to know them personally and develop relationships, friendships out of that. Uh, Zig Ziglar's son is coming to my place here in two weeks, going to spend spend a couple nights with us, and we're doing an event together here. So I've nurtured relationships with people who had a, a voice and who were doing things who were already performing at the level which I want to perform. That's really the phrase. They were already performing at the level which I wanted to perform and I looked for ways to spend time with those people and learn from those people by serving them well but ultimately developing personal relationships. So is your quick practical advice for someone young trying to build their five is just how to you got to really get uncomfortable and reach out but also provide value i mean i just want to like quick practical advice for someone young trying to build a five sure absolutely here's a here's a quick example uh, darren hardy was publisher of success magazine the magazine i think anybody ought to get no matter what they're doing well he had a blog and i would comment on his blog so i would comment frequently and then i would say gee this is great can i repost your blog on my site sure no problem so then a book comes along and it was Wisdom Meets Passion, which you mentioned, that I wrote with my son, Jared. Now, Darren doesn't do endorsements for books. He talks about that, that he does. He gets inundated. He just doesn't do that. Well, keep in mind, I'd been commenting on his blog, never met him personally at that point, but I, and I'd been reposting stuff, complimenting him what he was doing for probably two or three years. So I sent him my new book manuscript. Hey, can I get an endorsement? Sure, no problem at all. That's the thing. You've got to give before you ask. And with these friendships, I did that over and over. And give, 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 serve, serve, serve. Then when it comes time to ask, no problem at all. All the lights are green. Oh, brilliant. Love it. All right, Dan, we're going to move into a game. This is the first one we're going to have ever done, and it is Family Feud, but it's only one family member, you here. All right? So <laughs> it, it, it's going to be the one-person Family Feud. And I think you're sounds gonna... like a guaranteed win to me. <laughs> or you have no help either way. Uh, I think we're going to challenge you uh, because I think you might have different perception. But this is just came out on U.S. News: um, the hundred best jobs in 2017. And I think you're going to find a much different list. But I have ten written down. Whatever you can guess, I want to see. This is based on U.S. News. Came out uh, the hundred best jobs in 2017 in the U.S. What do you think they came out with some of those best jobs? Can you list any that you think they have? Um, web designer, computer okay. programmer. All right, yep, computer programmer, analyst. Yes, you got one. You nailed one. All right, uh, financial consultant. Nope. I'll give you medical. Uh, medical is where they're going with most of these. Okay. Um, somehow serving the aging population, you know, assisted living, nursing care, help. Okay. Yep, I'll give you one of those, the, the nurse practitioner. Okay, all right. Number two. Um, wow. <laughs> Let me think a minute. Um, golly, I mean, the things in transportation are getting annihilated because of changes that are happening there. Their communication I don't know, man. I'm pretty dry at that point. Well, what's really interesting, I think this, see, I want going to you because I think you know the real list. You're meeting with these people, and you know what they list as the number one? You've referenced three times already in this interview. Number one job, dentist. 
at a hundred. Really? Yes, it says it's less. <laughs> see, yeah, it says less than 0.1 percent unemployment, and the average salary is 152,000. Dentist number one, nurse practitioner two, physician assistant three, statistician, orthodontist, uh, pediatrician, computer analyst, gynecologist, oral surgeon, all medical. Dan, this has come out by the U.S. News, the hundred best jobs. What are some of the best jobs that you've seen? Because these probably aren't the typical ones you're used to. You know, they aren't. Man, those things, everything on that list would bore me to death. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I would hate that kind of environment. But when I see things that are happening at, uh, you know, Google, uh, c companies like that, where they have a real creative kind of environment, the things that Elon Musk yeah. is doing, yep. you know, to, to go to the moon and beyond, <laughs> the things that Richard Branson is doing with these real creative companies where they're getting into transportation, you know, aviation and automotive things that can, we consider to be pretty staid, boring industries, but they come in with new ideas new things that can be done. I mean, that's where, those are the things that excite me. Now, that, and also, uh, when, when we talk about J-O-B, I mean, that's, that kind of seems to put some limitations there. Yeah. When we talk about, you can just simply take an idea. I mean, you can have your own landscaping company this afternoon, swing by Home Depot, buy a, a lawnmower, and you're in business. You can start doing landscaping. Yeah. I mean, you can be a, a tree carver. You know, I've got things that are carved in my property here. So there are things that aren't going to line up with traditional department of, of you know, the, the kind of jobs that we have been led to believe are there, but they're opportunities nonetheless. Yeah. We can just put legs on a creative idea and you can, you can bypass the yeah. average salary of a dentist real quickly yeah. because you're doing something that has unique value. My bet is they're measuring that by the wrong statistics. They're measuring by salary and unemployment rate, not by creativity, love, and passion, which is hard to measure. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's probably you what are so right. That's what they're you measuring what, by. And that's not real. One, one of the stats that I get from the Bureau of Labor Statistics is what they call discouraged workers. Now, this blows my mind, but what they're tracking are people who have been out of work for at least 12 weeks. And so it appears they're no longer working because they don't think there's anything available for them. What they don't realize is how many of those people have become what we call accidental entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. They realize the market for just a traditional job really is, is horrendously limiting vulnerable, yeah. volatile, unpredictable, and so they just decided, I'm going to do something on my own. I mean, I can go get a squeegee and a bucket at Walmart and start washing windows and make 50 bucks an hour. I mean, I have people that have done things like that. Yeah. But the people in, in my, where I live are taking unusual ideas. You know, so we have somebody that, that wrote a book, and they had people respond to that, so now they put together an event. What's well, a thousand bucks to come to a two-day event, mm -hmm. and they have 250 people show up? Holy mackerel! Yeah. I mean, we just blew every kind of statistic about getting a job out of the water with just a two-day event, and I see people do that again and again. 100%. Beautiful. All right, I want to move to a debatable. Wrong. All right, this is a hot topic now. Education. I know you have a strong opinion. If you were to have kids right now, would you want them to go to college or not to go to college? I'd want them to understand a wide spectrum of possibilities. So college being one of those. But recognizing, I would want them to recognize that's not the best way to get a real education. You go to college, you're rewarded for repeating what the dude in the front of the room said, you know, at the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. 
you're rewarded for simply knowing what's in a book. Mm -hmm. It doesn't reward creativity or innovation at all. So I want my kids and grandkids to be exposed to entrepreneurial ideas. You know, I got grand, I've got a granddaughter who just recently, on a rainy day in Woodland Park, Colorado, at a farmer's market, working five hours in her little booth, she made $422 doing face painting. <laughs> that I want my kids exposed to those kind of things. I've got an eight-year-old granddaughter who co-wrote with her grandma, my wife, a book she has, they live full time on the road. She and her two sisters, her mom and dad. She has that book with her. Every time she sells that book for 10 bucks, she gives Papa, me, $2. She has $8 left. She left here with 500 books. She's going through those like hotcakes. She's eight years old, 500 books, eight bucks. That's 4,000 bucks. Now those those kind of lessons will spoil somebody for looking at what the possibilities are for going to college. So most of my kids and grandkids looked at college and they said, eh, nah. Now my daughter went to college, she went to University of Tennessee, and she has a double degree in psychology, mm -hmm. meaning it serves her well, what she's doing, I mean, she's not being paid to be as a, a psychologist or a therapist, but it served her well, preparing her to be a wife and mommy. So there's certainly value that goes beyond just what it prepares you to do to get a job in college, but you can replicate that value and get a real broad education in a whole lot of other ways. Mm -hmm. Chances are only about 10% my kids or grandkids would, knowing the options, choose to go to college. Yeah. If they wanted to be a nurse or a dentist, mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah, that's the path. Yeah. That makes sense. That's great. And I think the key is, is learning. And you talk about this a lot. I love this great quote from you. Continual learning is the key to continual living. If you stop learning, you have effectively stopped living. My question to you, Dan, is how do you teach someone to want to learn? Or can you? I'm not sure you can teach them, but certainly you can, by example, show them the benefits of doing that. Uh, I spoke recently at a conference in Orlando, and I talked about the power of investing in yourself and how it, as a 13-year-old kid, I bought a little auto recording, The Strangest Secret, and how that I can, I can tag that, I can show how that has led to millions and millions of dollars for me, that $15 investment. Mm -hmm. So I think you can inspire people with great books, mm -hmm. conferences, seminars, courses, and all that. You can inspire them, but ultimately, yeah, they want, they have to want they, they have to be hungry for that. The timing has to be right. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I think it's tough to teach that, teach the hunger. But if you keep showing numerous examples, everyone that's successful, they were a learning leader at some point in their life, and they continue to be. So, all right, Dan, I want to keep moving some fun segments here. I want to go into fear factor. Someone like you has so much optimism and passion for life and learning. You know, what's your biggest fear in business? Well, it's interesting because I don't, Coil, recoil when you say fear. I think fear can work for us. I mean, it's one of those things without that, we'd be oblivious to danger and we do things, whether it's personally or in business, that really have the potential to harm us. I don't mind fear being in the presence. I, I just want, you know, if I'm going to go on a trip, I just want fear to be in the back seat. I don't want her to be in the driver's seat. But fear is not a negative thing. So I. I mean, I recognize 
that there's a lot of competition out here. It's a very open season. People buy differently than they did a few years ago. Brand loyalty is gone. Mm -hmm. People see a new opportunity, boy, they'll switch to that. So I have to be innovative. I have to be creative every day. I have to continue learning myself and bring things to the table that are exciting, that that, uh, propose an experience, an adventure for people beyond just new knowledge. Knowledge is easy to get, Mm -hmm. but an experience is not something that is easily replicated. So, you know, I'm I'm not fearful in a negative way. At the same time, like I say, you know, I welcome fear as being present at any given time because it helps me stay sharp in what I'm doing. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, I think questions has been a big part of what you've done as a coach. And, you know, you're asking great questions. I'd love to know the inside scoop here. What are some of the best questions that you ask when you're working with, you know, clients or working with people to help find their passion? Yeah, I'll ask them, you know, what are the titles of six books you've read this year? Well, that's pretty insightful if they say, geez, I haven't read a book since I graduated from college. I know what I'm dealing with, you know, right there. You know, I may ask them, as you asked me, you know, at the outset, what are you doing to make the world a better place? You know, what is it that when you're doing it, time just passes by? You know, tell me about something that you've done that's really special for your spouse in the last 30 days. Mm-hmm. You know, what book are you reading right now? You know, what, what is a course that you've taken in the last year? Mm-hmm. So I ask them things to let me know how they think, what they're doing to grow. Mm-hmm. And if in, and those answers are pretty telling then, obviously, as well. If there's nothing in that arena, it's going to be tough for me to really help them. I can't take somebody who's been closed off for 30 years. They've been, I, I had a guy recently who came to me, and really wasn't. I, I didn't want to work with him mm-hmm. because he had just lost his job. He had been... 26 years, and he had moved up in a company to be chief financial officer. His pay was $375,000, and then he lost his job. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, obviously, with that kind of position, you're really up to speed on what's happening in the workplace. This ought to be a breeze. He says, no. For 26 years, I've had head down, pencil up. That was his phrase, mm-hmm. head down, pencil And it gave me an immediate image, and which proved to be true. He was absolutely worthless because he had no conception of what his value was. He had simply ridden that one horse to extinction because they kept in their rewarded longevity and ultimately said, we're paying this dude too much. We can get somebody half his age and half the price. And he was dead in the water because he hadn't kept up. No, that's brilliant. Well, the key is, you know, there work with the people you want to work with and the people that you can provide the most value. Yeah, uh, continuing, absolutely. Yeah. Right, that's great. All right, I'm going to let you flip the script here, Dan. All right, this is, we do this every show. You become the host of Business Done Differently, and you can ask one question to me. All right. <laughs> what kind of a future do you see for that new baby that's coming? <laughs> I think that, you know, it's funny, that question was asked recently as well. I think that baby, ah. <laughs> no, everyone's wondering about the baby, and I think that's great. I think the baby, we're not going to change our lifestyle. So I think the baby is going to be a ballpark baby. It's going to be on the road. It's going to be in the dugout. It's going to be on the field. We're going to be holding it up with the players. I think the baby is going to learn that uh, life's not going to be normal. The baby could be in a tuxedo. It could be in whatever. Uh, but I think I, I, we don't know. We're still learning. And I'm going to ask as many questions about you know how to be a parent as possible. But I, I think we want to get the baby used to a unique, different lifestyle and give them the opportunity to see life differently. So that's, that's our goal. Thank you for that question.
because we have no clue, Dan, at all, how we're, what we're going to do. <laughs> and, and if that baby, and a continuing uh, tail end of the question, and if that baby grows up and says, I want to get a job at General Motors where it's predictable and I can work there for 35 years and get a gold watch, you'll be okay with that as well. I would think that the goal is of being a great dad would be to support your kid no matter what and be there for him. So I, I, I would hope right. I would hope so. <laughs> That's right. Oh, excellent. All right, we're going to move on to the last few questions here. I want to go to tool time. Uh, is there a tool that you're using in your business uh, that's in your business toolbox that's helping you be successful? I'm not a big technology adapter. I'm a late adapter, and I really am pretty simplistic in what I use. But Google Calendar, I mean, it has to be. I mean, the, the ability to put things in there. So there are so many things that I do that I repeat. Mm -hmm. So doing my podcast, writing my blogs, getting my newsletter out, things like that. I don't want to have to sit down at the beginning of every week and say, well, gee, what am I going to do this week? So even though I'm an entrepreneur and I love the creativity, that doesn't mean that I have a totally unpredictable, unscheduled life. So a Google account allows me to put those things in so I know at this period of time on Tuesday, this is carved out for deep work. You know, even things like that, I carve out blocks of time. But seeing it in my schedule helps make it real rather than just addressing the squeaky wheel. Brilliant. What is your deep work consisting of these days? It's major projects. I've got two new books on the works. I've got a couple new courses that I'm coming out with. I've got a little book. I spent some time on the phone yesterday with Vic Conant, who is CEO of Nightingale Conant in Chicago. Got a little book that I'm titled, Finding Your Strangest Secret, based on that story I kind of alluded to earlier. Awesome. So uh, those are the kind of things that on Fridays and Saturdays, those are my deep work days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I do business things, I do interviews, I do my blogs, my podcasts, but then Thursday, Friday, I do nothing but deep work. That's where my major projects are taking shape. Uh, it's so important for every entrepreneur. All right, I wanna go into now, that's what I call service, because I'm fascinated by service experiences, customer service. Is there any moments that have stood out for you from a customer service experience in the last few years? We really baby the people who purchase from us. I mean, they get this letter from us immediately when they order something. It can be an $8 product, and they get a letter that says, you know, how thrilled we are and how everybody stood up and cheered when their yes. order came in, you know, those kind of things. And, cool. you know, we're going to all personally go to the post office to make sure it gets on its way to them. We do things like that, and those things come back just magnified mm -hmm. in customer loyalty mm -hmm. and coming back again and again. So I, you know, and I have people, I have people at a lot of levels. I have people who have never spent a dollar with me who've been fans of mine for 10 years. That's okay. I have people who spend $30 a month who are part of our Eagles community. You know, I have people who pay me thousands of dollars every month because they're part of upper level programs that I have. And really, I, I don't grade my level of connection or support for those people based on how much they're paying me. I mean, I had a lady yesterday who sent me a long pointed email. She's a physician. She's never been involved in anything that we're doing. And she's terrified because things are changing so fast. She's never been on social media. And she just feels like she's getting farther behind. I took a lot of time to walk her through just some simple things she can do to engage and so that she doesn't lose her effectiveness. Yeah, that's great, that's brilliant. All right, last two segments, Dan, we're gonna have fun here. Favorites, all right, I wanna know, what's your favorite part of the morning? Wow, I protect the first two hours of the morning like gold. 
I mean, that, those are the most important part of my day. I mean, there's an old saying that the first hour is the rudder of the day. And I really believe that. I mean, if I get up and I grab my phone and I look at what's happening in the world and I see messages coming in and I turn on the TV and I see all the negativity and who got raped and murdered last night, it, it affects my thinking. I don't do that. I don't do that. I get out of bed and I immediately list three things for which I'm grateful. I start with gratitude. I go through a simple yoga stretching exercise. I hit the floor immediately that protects my back and keeps me healthy. Then I do a 17-minute meditation. I use Muse. It's a headband that tracks my biofeedback, give me immediate feedback on that. Then I hit the treadmill. I'm on the treadmill for an hour, and during that period of time, that's when I listen to podcasts. So I listen to podcasts. Typically, I listen to them at a little accelerated speed so I can get in two or three podcasts in that hour being on the treadmill. Then I take a shower and I'm getting ready for the day. At that point, my wife is up. We have a smoothie. We have a smoothie and muffin together. Then I'm ready to start my day. I can handle anything. It doesn't matter. But I never never have any appointments before 9 o'clock. I usually get up 5.30, so I have, you know, really three hours typically before I have an appointment. But then I start my day. But what I do in that first two hours is way more important than what I do after that period yeah, of time. That's, that's brilliant. Well, you're primed for the day. And I think you're the first person ever to answer the favorite part of the morning ritual is the entire morning ritual. So I, oh. I, I love that. That's great. You mentioned podcasts. You know, what, what's one of your favorite podcasts you're listening to right now? I listen to Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income consistently. I also listen to Rob Bell. He's kind of out there in terms of thinking. Robcast, I listen to that. But I've got a bunch in my Stitcher lineup that I listen to regularly. Outstanding. So you have your great morning. You got the podcast. What's your favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Pick up a book and read. Absolutely, without question. Reading to me is inspirational, but it's also my favorite go-to solitude place is to pick up a book and read. You know, I get asked this question always, like, what's your favorite book? And it's such a hard question to answer for me because I'm constantly reading. Do you have a favorite book that stands out or is it just constantly changing as well? It's constantly changing, but we're, we're approaching the end of the year. And I can tell you two that were at the top of my list for this year. Now, I've read probably 70 okay. books this year, So, but there are two. One is Brendan Bouchard's new book, High Performance Habits. Absolute must. I have it so tagged up with things. And then also Ryan Holiday's book, The Daily Stoic. Mm-hmm. I love stoicism and how that makes you see things, common events, differently than most people walking around. So those are two, but those are just this year. I've got books that I consider favorites that I go back to again and again, but uh, those are two at the top of my list for this year. That's perfect. You mentioned a lot about going to conferences. Is there a favorite business conference that you've really enjoyed being a part of? One of the big ones that I've gone to for four years in a row and we'll go to again in February is Social Media Marketing World in San Diego, put on by our, our friend Michael Stelsner. And that's for anybody who's podcasting, blogging, you know, using Facebook, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, any of the, you know, who's just, who's using those kind of tools to move forward in what you're doing. Outstanding. Excellent. But beyond just the content and the knowledge, and I go to a conference like that 
and I may go to two or three sessions, presentations. The real value is in the informal networking. It's where I see people deep in relationships with people that I may not see any time during the year, but I know they're going to be at that conference. So the conferences are connection times. They're not, the main value is not new information. That's easy to get. The main focus, the value is deepening and nurturing relationships. Oh, that's great. All right, we'll finish the last two favorites in the final four. What's your favorite restaurant you enjoy in the go-to? <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. You just changed it. All right. Oh, oh, I would assume. <laughs> all right. Favorite restaurant for you to go alone by yourself? <laughs> Garcia's. It's a local Mexican restaurant, family-owned. They are phenomenal. I have three or four lunch meetings a week there. Joanne hates Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> that's interesting so it is two different questions all right I'll, I'll move on this might have this might involve her as well uh, okay. magic moment this magic moment what's one moment that stands out in your life oh my gosh one moment that stands out in my life I would go back to when I was a 13-year-old kid and I got that little audio recording, The Strangest Secret, and I listened to that. The principle is simply we become what we think about. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Can I, as a poor Ohio farm kid, really change the future that I see laid out for me to be poor and be a farmer the next generation? That was one of those defining moments, probably more critically so than anything else I can think of. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, the final four. Dan, we here at the Final Four. What's something you've done differently in your business to stand out or in your life? Oh, wow. Wow, in my life. Well, in, in my business, I provide more personal touch and, ex and access than I see any kind of business doing. Okay. And that, I mean, I, I, I don't have to, I don't have to uh, reach out to millions of people because today I know that I'll have 80 who are going to contact me personally. And if I respond to them, they'll tell the millions without any problem. Uh, it's about true fans. I love that. What advice would you give to someone to stand out in business and in life? Be different. Don't worry about being first, but be different. Perfect. You Is know, I've got this guy who wears a yellow tuxedo. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> He seems to he seems to exemplify that principle. A little bit different. A little bit different. Be uh, different. All right. You mentioned this. This could be the audio recording. It could be something else. But the the best advice you've ever received. The best advice I've ever received. Uh, it's never too late to have a new beginning. Rich, right there. Beautiful. Yeah, that's that's been critical for me to be reminded and to help other people be reminded of that. Oh, hey, I, I don't care if you're 27 and have a crash, or if you're 77. Yeah. Never too late to have a new beginning. That's great. And final question, how do you want to be remembered? Wow. I want to be remembered. I mean, if there's one word that I want to be associated with thinking of me, it's inspiring. Mm. That I didn't allow complacency, that I didn't embrace sameness, that I was not looking for change just for the sake of change, but to be sure that you hadn't, hadn't overlooked a new opportunity. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. Well, Dan, there you have it. That is the Business Done Differently show. And I want to give a shout out to you. Not many people know this, but Dan came to the last game of the season, Savannah Bananas. And to see someone that's learned so much throughout his life, walking around, taking notes, having a notebook, and enjoying yourself and having fun, you inspired me to say, you know what? 
I don't ever want to stop learning. And I think that's what's made you so successful and such a great, amazing person. So, Dan, it was a pleasure having on you on the show. You know, where could people, uh, where could people learn more about you or learn what you're doing? 48 Days is our brand. You know, I tell people you can change your life dramatically in 48 days if you create a plan and act on it. So it, it, that's pervasive in everything that I do. Any approach, 48 days. So 48days.com. That's the biggie. We, we've got an amazing community that's growing exponentially right now, 48 Days Eagles. That's another group where people can get involved with people who are big thinkers who are changing the world, 48dayseagles.com. Dan, thank you for doing amazing things. Thank you again for being on the show. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. Loved it. Today, we learned even more about how to think differently. Sometimes in life, professional is boring and weird wins. So thanks for listening, and remember, the world needs more people being different. So whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Be different, stand out, have fun, and enjoy the show. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.